The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. Uh, it is a Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Yeah, it is Wednesday. Wednesday morning here in Southern California. A little bit hazy. Uh, much better weather than, than the East Coast has had. I feel bad for the East Coast. Living on the East Coast... Continuing our SNL 40 week, which which we just could not resist calling this person. Seth Myers, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. Where did uh, where did Sunday night rank among the great moments of your life? Uh, it's definitely top 10. The whole week was such a nice uh, postscript. I think for not just me, but for everybody who ever worked at that show. People just got to come in and rehearse one last time, write sketches one last time, sort of rub elbow with uh you know with host one more time so it was a great a week and then sunday night was just uh you know not only a really fun show but it turned into one of the uh, great all-time after parties yeah so it sounds like the after party was better than the show and better than any after party basically that's ever happened right i was so tired my wife was so tired we both and you know i had to work the next day right and it was about 2 a.m and we were hitting the wall and then we realized they had just done this thing of at the Plaza Hotel, just had instruments on the stage. And it started sort of with Dan Aykroyd doing uh, some blues. And then, you know, Paul McCartney got on the stage and did saw her standing there. And, and then when you realized, oh, I think a lot of musicians are going to want to be a part of this. And right. we sort of just, we, uh, we found a second win and sort of stayed until Prince closed it out. So, so it was like just musicians, musicians, and then, hey, there's Prince. Yeah, and Prince really did sort of emerge from the audience. <laughs> Everyone else, you sort of saw them walk on stage, and he just all of a sudden was there. Right. And I had heard afterwards that people said, you know, I think Beyonce would have sung, but once Prince, like no one, followed, nobody would follow Prince. Like everybody knew when Prince was done that that would be the end of that. It's, it's amazing that he still has that power. Yeah. He's in his 50s now. Yeah, it's not only that, but he, you know, his whole band was there, and so, and again, but while he was on stage doing his song, it's not like everybody else cleared out. You still had, you know, uh, Martin Short and Bill Murray were standing there, and and um, uh, you know, people from different bands were still on the stage, and it was just so much fun to watch everybody up there watch Prince. So how many? How many people were? in charge of putting together the three and a half hours show. Like ultimately there had to be an inner circle for it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, really I would, this show was always in Lauren's head most. Yeah. And, uh, this was something that, you know, he conceived and he conceived a lot of it. And then, you know, people like Steve Higgins and Eric Kenward, and, uh, Rob Klein and Lindsay shook us. There were a lot of different people who were part of the inner circle. And this was a show that's been, you know, six months in the making and, you know, just stuff like guest lists and seating charts were, I think, more um, time consuming than you would ever have on any other kind of show. And then you have all these celebrities that want to be involved and you got to figure out how to use them. So, what? so, you know, they, there was a bunch of different sketches that tried to involve a whole bunch of people. What sketches were considered that ended up not making it, that also were those ensemble type of sketches? There really wasn't anything else ever on the board. Lauren very much from the beginning wanted to do a sketch. He wanted to do, you know, he came down um, to my dressing room one night on late night and just said, you know, I'd like to do a talk show. I'd like to do a game show. And I suggested if you were doing a game show, you should do Celebrity Jeopardy just because you could get, you could use it for like both to 
scratch the game show itch and also just get classic impressions out. And right. you could rotate people in through the podium. Nobody would care if you did more impressions. Uh, Celebrity Jeopardy was always a Steve Higgins sketch, but uh, I was lucky enough to get to help him out with that. And then, you know, Wayne's World sort of filled the talk show gap and Q&A was something, you know, that's not only been sort of a monologue staple for years, but was a really great, I think Hanks did it the 25th anniversary and it had been really fun. So yeah. that was sort of almost a callback to the last anniversary show. But there wasn't there wasn't anything on the cutting room floor. It was almost at the last minute people would say, oh, there's no forte they should do. And Lauren would say, oh, we'll do an ESPN classic bumper out of the sports act. So it was, you know, in the, uh, the thing that was happening as opposed to people being cut out of the show as we got closer to showtime, it was more people being put into the show. Right. And that's all of a sudden it was announced. It was expanding to three and a half hours, which I was like, oh, my God. They must have had a lot of people. It was 52 minutes long when it was at three hours, and which would have been wow. a bloodbath. And then when it got ex- – uh, the one thing, like one of the major – the last cuts were two – there were two 12-minute musical montages of the first 20 years and the next 20 years. And yep. those are great, but when you have all the, you know, when you have all the people you have to take care of, um, in the live part of the show, you know, clips were always going to be sort of, the, I think, the first thing that would get sacrificed. Yeah, I noticed that that was conspicuous that that wasn't in there, and it almost made me think, that could have been another show. And that, now that... Uh... It's been established that people like watching these shows on Sunday night, these SNL, whatever shows. It almost feels like there's a a musical over the years. Here are all the bands we've had on the show. That's almost its own three hour show that they could just rip off. You wouldn't. Nobody would even need to be in it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it was. And it's. You know, all the clip package is great. Another thing that Lauren was talking about a couple weeks out that was. You know, I think especially for all the writers in the room was a really exciting idea that ultimately you understood why it got sacrificed was sort of a clip package celebrating the 10 to 1 sketches, Um, you know, the last sketches of the night, which would have been great. But, you know, again, this was uh, the uh, the alchemy of pulling the show off was near impossible. Yeah, because the the most inside baseball moment of the night was probably the that's when you break digital short, right? Which was outstanding. Yeah. And we didn't, you know, in in classic Lonely Island fashion, they are, you know, for lack of a better word, they are an island. Like, they go off. They don't, they're not sending in scripts to get approval. They're not showing you an early cut. They just have an idea. They go out and they do it. And it was so, it was so tense on Saturday, just as everybody was scrambling around and trying to pull everything together. And word came down that, the digital short was ready to watch and like six of us went up to the edit bay to watch it. And we were all just so happy. It made us so happy. We were all getting a little choked up because it was such, there was something about watching, you know, your old colleagues break. That really is one of your favorite memories of, uh, of the show. Right. And it was so inside baseball, uh, right. as you said, which was great. Um, what, so Ackroyd doing the Bassomatic sketch again, how does that happen? Uh, I wasn't there for conversations. Pretty much, I think Ackroyd reached out to Lauren and said, "I'd like to do Bassomatic," and Lauren said, "Great." And there you go. What about yeah. Wayne's World? Uh, same thing. Uh, and let me, I, you know, I also thought two of the things that I, because I actually thought as a show it kept getting better, even though it was three and a half hours long. I thought yeah. 
Wayne's World was so great. Uh, you know, the uh, Andy and uh, Sandler's thing was late. But I thought, you know, Wayne's World uh, thanking the crew and Paul McCartney, I'm sorry, Paul Simon calling out the SNL band. I thought those were two of the nicest moments for people who, you know, are at those shows all the time that don't quite ever get called out. And it was really obviously getting called out by people like Dana and Mike and, and then Paul Simon was probably meant a lot to those people and they certainly deserved it. The, uh, I thought the musical choices were interesting and I understand why they happened because he went with the two icons who had kind of been part of the show in the seventies for different reasons, Simon and McCartney, and then just two major current acts with nobody mm-hmm. else in between was, do you think at, at any point were they thinking about anybody in between those two generations? No, probably not because you, the Pauls were always going to be there. And then, you know, is, there's that weird thing. I think because you have a 25th anniversary in a weird way, the 40th is obviously going to be a little bit weighted towards the last 15 years. Yeah. Because they haven't been celebrated in a, a anniversary show yet. And, you know, because Miley has both sort of hosted and, and done music a few times, and I think for Lauren really represents a younger generation, and I think speaks to the fact that Lauren always wants to remind the younger generation that he's doing this show for them as well. Um, and Kanye, I would make an argument, has been, uh, with no close second, the most interesting musical guest on the show in the last 15 yes. years. And what he, and again, that was another, uh, you know, uh, love it or leave it, I, he did exactly what, I love what Kanye does, which is he always makes his musical performance on the show different than what anybody else has ever done. And my favorite thing that has always happened when Kanye comes to rehearse is the lighting designer on SNL is Phil Himes. He's over 90 years old. He's been doing it since the first show. And watching Kanye and Phil, who have this enduring respect for one another now because of how many times they've gone through this dance of getting the lighting just right for Kanye, watching them both bark at each other and then sort of like happily shake hands when it's all over because they got, you know, Kanye got exactly what he wanted from Phil is, is really one of my favorite parts of the show. And that multi-generational thing that exists there and nobody, nowhere else. Did Kanye go to the after party? I'm pretty sure Kanye was after party. Everybody was at the after party. Although I really I actually think Larry David didn't go to the after party, which is, was also one of my favorite jokes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, cause I was, I, I wonder if he got competitive at all when Prince went up there. Maybe he was gone oh, at that point. That's interesting. That's interesting. It was um, uh, Jay Z and Beyonce were sitting in the very back, and I, it was. Uh, I mean, it's so lovely that they would want to come out and be there. Uh, I can say I'm speaking on behalf of Beyonce, who seems very nice and was very patient. She doesn't probably want to take as many pictures as people were asking her to take that she took. Right. And uh, and you sort of when you see people like that, you realize oh, it's, it's impossible for them to go out even at this which is, you would think, the most um, uh, famous-friendly event you could be at. Uh, you know, you, you have to really kind of put yourself behind more people than you probably want to because of uh, the amount of time she got approached. Were there any celebrities who, like with 24 hours to go, were all of a sudden saying, hey, you know what, I, I kind of want to be in this SNL 40 show, and you're like, ah, sorry, too late, can't happen. Yeah, I mean, I you know, thank God, I wasn't privy to those conversations. I'm sure we had people from the talent department who were sort of breaking the news to people that there wasn't room and stuff. You know, with, you know, even, you know, with Celebrity Jeopardy, you know, it was funny just talking to the people in that sketch. And, you know, everybody always has ideas for different beats uh, for their part. 
Yeah. And you have to, you know, it was one of those cases where you say, yeah, that's great. It's nine minutes long now. So, you know, right. as much as as much as I'd love to add more questions and answers, this is, uh, we're really at the limit of people's patience. With that said, I thought um, Marty and Maya was one of those things that uh, was so uh, mind-blowing that, that you could do a, a sort of a 15-minute thing like they did that I, I felt was so engaging from start to finish. There are a couple of people that it just feels like they could just come on the cast right now, like nothing, like like no time had passed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like Maya Rudolph is one of those people for me. It's like, ah, oh, it's kind of a shame she's still not doing this show. Yeah, and so it, she's, she's so natural with it. And it was also, it was such a, it, because of the room, the room was all famous people. It was all show business people. And yeah. I would actually put it up against any collection, any award show of all time. The eighth row at the SNL 40th was the greatest collection of talent in an eighth row that you've ever seen at an <laughs> event. Like, that's how good it was. Because when I've done stuff like the Emmys or the ESPYs, like, if you just look past the first four rows, you're fine. Like, there's nobody who makes you nervous. Here, it was so sacked. And you forget that among people in entertainment, they, it, no one loves Martin Short more. And so when Martin Short came out, immediately he was killing, I felt, at a level that sort of no one had yet because he's so beloved in that community. And then to have Maya join him was uh, inspired. And that's something that, you know, Lauren had sort of uh, initially conceived of right off the bat was putting those two together. And and I should uh, note that Fred also sort of, uh, Fred and Mark Shaman were other people involved with that, that musical uh, section. Yeah, I thought, uh, I wrote this on Monday, I thought of all the people that were on stage, I thought Murray threw the fastest fastball, which I didn't expect. He just kind of owned the show for a minute. Um, yeah. But, but Martin Short was the only other one that, when he was out there, just brought so much energy, you know? And it's like, and he does that anytime. Like, he's the, one of the great talk show guests of all time. It's just, he has this engine that just revs up to, you know, 200 miles an hour. It's just the way he goes. The great thing about the Bill Murray Jaws, which was, I think, the moment of the night as well. I agree. They never rehearsed it on stage. Uh, Jim Downey had had that idea back in the 70s, and Jim Downey, who's a brilliant writer, also a writer I know, that if he has an idea, he cannot rest until it's on television. So I'm sure this Jaws thing has been keeping him awake at night for like 35 years. And basically just decided to, they just agreed to do it on Sunday afternoon and, you know, rehearsed it in the dressing rooms a few times. And that level, and it just is what, makes SNL so great when it's great is somebody like Bill Murray who is fearless yeah. who just let it rip like the way he sang that first note I just think everybody was aghast at how great it was <laughs> it was amazing and again like I said like we because nobody left rehearsal like once your thing finished rehearsing it's not like you went home you wanted to stay and watch everything because I think everybody understood how special it was. I remember, you know, Tom Hanks was just hanging out, watching us block Jeopardy, and Alec Baldwin had to leave, and Hanks went, instead of having a stand-in, Hanks just did the Tony Bennett part for just rehearsal. Oh, my God. Just because it was so much fun. Also, I should say, Hanks also does an incredible Tony Bennett, which was great. So everybody was around. So in a weird way, like the fact that there was still this one thing left that nobody had seen in rehearsal, which was the thing everybody probably most wanted to see, which was Bill Murray doing that character, that moment. Um, 
and I think you're right. Uh, it was as as far as whose fastball uh, still had the most pop to it. That was the one. Yeah, I think the fact that it was slightly unexpected too helped. I mean, not that yeah. we should be surprised that Bill Murray is funny, but he he was. It was literally no difference from him right now versus him in 1978, which I was uh, surprised The other by. thing was they <laughs> – this was a great I've, – I've, I've heard this secondhand, but Downey thought it was really important to have Jaws footage in the shot. I think Lauren thought it was distracting, so which is great that even like leading up, they're having an argument about that. <laughs> and uh, Lauren's like, you can't clear the footage. And Downey said, well, Spielberg's here. <laughs> Let's just ask him, which is – you know, obviously there was a lot. There was no need to go through middlemen on this night, based on who was in the room. <laughs> right to Spielberg, who probably said, "Yeah, great." Yeah, sure. Um, can we talk about Eddie Murphy? Sure. I mean, I don't. You know, I uh, I certainly understand that people were left wanting more. Um, you know, I think it was great that Eddie agreed to come, and yeah. nobody. That was another thing. Like, no, we didn't quite know what Eddie was going to do. It's not as though. Uh, we were going to script what he would say about his being back. Um, so, you know, I, I, I certainly, I think, I think all of us wanting a little bit more from Eddie Murphy is probably going to be, you know, what how we live out the rest of our days. Uh, and we're just really lucky with all of the Eddie Murphy we got um, back when we got it. Was he asked to be in different sketches and just wasn't interested? I mean, people, they were certainly reaching out with anything that was sort of ensemble like, you know, yeah, it won't. But, you know, uh, that was true of a lot of people that, you know, you'd ask, you know, person X if they do this. Um, and, you know, I think I will say, you know, he was there. He came to rehearsal uh, and uh, he was he couldn't have been nicer. And you really understand uh, or understood that he still watches and loves the show. Um, I got to say, it's a, one of those weird things um, uh, not that it'll ever happen for me, but it's very hard. I can't imagine like how hard it is to what he could have said that would have satisfied everybody after um, what I thought was a pretty incredible intro from Chris Rock. I, I think the, you know, I, I, I think at some point we might have to say like, oh, that might have just been a very moving moment for Eddie and being back there in the first place was probably uh, a, quite a big step for him. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I For me, it was still worth it to have him there. And I thought it was great. I agree with you. I, I, I've thought about it. I've battled all the different scenarios in my head, and part of me wonders if he had something bigger planned and he punted on it in the moment because he got choked up. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Um, because no one really got an intro like that intro. No, no, and no. he and he actually deserved it. You know? Yeah, that's the other and, thing. Every word of it was true, and everybody there knew. And for everybody that was coming back. Um, he was the only person you heard people talking about the week before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because no one has, no one who meant that much to the show, uh, who's still alive, has ever spent that much time away from it. So I compared Lauren Michaels at the end of that show to Mr. Holland and Mr. Holland's Opus. You think that was <laughs> a fair, fair comparison? Yeah, I think it was pretty fair. You know, again, he's still, he's still Lauren at the after party. You know, it's not. You, I've still never seen him slapping people on the back saying we did it. Uh, you know, he's he's got a a glass of he's got a drink in his hand, and he's he seemed very happy though, and, and very satisfied. And you know, again, there's that. What I love about Lauren is that was 
again, it, it was only a, it was only a glancing celebration of Lauren. He wanted to celebrate the show, and that's why he produced it. You know, he didn't put this in anyone else's hand and say, honor me. It wasn't like a, a Kennedy Center honor where people talked about Lauren all night and he didn't have a hand in it. Because, and I'll tell you, like, that would be a thing Lauren would hate for anybody to talk about SNL uh, without him having a hand on, on the wheel as far as how the show was going to go. And, you know, the fact that, you know, people were coming to his office all day on Sunday arguing that I think this should be moved up and this should be moved back. And we have two, uh, you know, two clip packages back to back. And I don't feel like that's right. And I think that's the part of it he loved is that he got to produce the show. Were you shocked by the rating? I was shocked by the rating. I thought it would do well, but I was shocked. It's a lot of people. It's a, it's great. It's so great. I mean, and, the you most know, competitive TV night probably of the year. Yeah. It was a uh, it was a ratings mic drop, which uh, and by the way, which is good because as you can imagine, that show wasn't cheap to produce. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think about just probably putting up all the hotels, maybe helping out with some flights. You know, the party itself, the after party itself, was how a like a how royals would marry. <laughs> it was just it's the plaza. There were you. Can't imagine how, you would just walk upstairs and see a hundred of the most famous people on earth, and then someone would say, "Oh, you, there's two more stairs to the party." That was just you were basically just at a landing, and you thought it yeah. was the party. Well, um, we well, had the other thing that was fun was uh, our studio, which is right down the hall from Studio Eight A's late night studio, was for overspill. So during the show, because there weren't enough seats, even though they put in extra seats, there weren't enough seats for everybody. So old writers and people like that had um, a different place to go and sit and watch on a screen. But it quickly became, there were also two bars set up there, and it quickly became a place where people would go after their bit uh, before they went back to their seats. So that was then this really fun sort of pre-cocktail party before the actual after party of, you know, everybody having drinks during the commercials and then the, the screen would come back on and everybody would, it was uh, so it was, a, it was a quite a viewing party you know what was underrated about that night and I didn't even realize it till like 48 hours later Nicholson who never yeah. hosted the show ever and I think I I mean I'm not positive on this but I'm, I'm pretty confident I think he's only been on the show once when like Helen Hunt or somebody was guest hosting and yeah, he did like a walk right. on and I think that was it that's the only time he's ever been on uh, that we, as we, we always joke, he's been saying, uh, he's been saying no to Lauren for 40 years. Cause it's not like Lauren wasn't asking him when the show started. Right. And, uh, but I like this is, uh, was it something, what did he say? No jokes for me? Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is basically when that's your, when that's your mantra, that means you probably wouldn't be a great host. Another underrated, uh, moment, which I didn't notice in the moment, but somebody sent it to me was uh when when they cut to michael douglas in the crowd yeah and he was like saying something like uh you know i'm blah 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 i'm a sexual icon and zeta jones made this face that was great a white face just cut him down completely she was like <laughs> sexual icon it was awesome i can't believe i didn't notice that when it happened and the best thing about it is uh michael douglas who john mulaney uh wrote that uh q a with Seinfeld and a bunch of other people, but uh, Michael Douglas did not was not at rehearsal. There were people there who were doing their lines for the first time right. live on television. And he was walking down the hallway, 
just walking down the hallway to his seat, and Mulaney was going over the script with him and said, are you good? And Douglas was like, I'm fine. Don't worry. But like, couldn't have been more confident, which was great. And he nailed it. But he said the one thing he didn't do was stand up, which he was supposed to do. But, of uh, course, by sitting, he put himself right in the burn zone, the Catherine, the Catherine Zeta burn zone. So if he'd only done his blocking right, he would have been fine. Who is the single giddiest former cast member? Oh, gosh. Giddiest former cast member. I don't know about giddiness. I mean, the, the giddiest people were, of course, the current cast. You know, right. A.D. Bryan and Vanessa Bayer and Kate McKinnon were, you know, you, when you see them meet Molly Shannon, they lose their mind. Um, but everybody seemed really happy. I mean, it was so, uh, it was a very uh, completest night in that everyone was invited. And yeah. I think that, you know, because of that, there was such a great energy there. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody who was really uh, <laughs> delighted and was also great was Lovitz. Who, it, that, that was great. It's also so it's everybody um, in in 40 years of the show. No one's topped Lovitz is that perfect person for that joke. Yeah. And when Higgins was showing Chris Rock in memoriam, just the regular in memoriam <laughs> halfway through it, Rock turned. It was already in Lovitz was already in as the last person. And Rock turning to Higgins and goes, you should end this with Lovitz. Like multiple people <laughs> thought, you know, yeah, the best would be if Lovitz was last. Who, uh, who was the biggest disappointment that didn't show up? Uh, for me, Dennis Miller. You know, I, I uh, getting, to, getting to stand up there with those update guys. Uh, he was conspicuously absent. Um, Do we know why know. he didn't show up? I don't know why. Uh, I just, you know, they knew he wasn't coming. It wasn't like a last minute that he uh, flaked or anything. And, you know, it could have been a, a previous engagement or, or, and it doesn't, you know, I, I, he seems to have a good, uh, um, good memories of the show. I've, you know, I've, I've talked to him uh, before and he seems to fondly remember it. So hopefully it's not anything, uh, any sort of bad blood or anything like that. But for me and my, my SNL and when I came up with it, he was the guy that was, uh, was missing for me. Yeah. Um, you you know after the night of and the day after people always complain about certain stuff about the show and it's never perfect for everybody which is what i based what i wrote about that's kind of symbolic of the show right it's it never hits whatever everyone's platonic ideal of the show is and I, I, it's funny how it's it's just graded on a on this monster curve at all times yeah, and it's the it's what's what I'm so happy about is that even the 40th was that SNL model of three things you love, one thing you hate. Uh, the rest of it's going to be pretty bumpy. And I actually think it would have been worse if we'd had dress. I kind of thought it was great to do a show like that without dress. Yeah, I thought um, mostly because since everyone was a pro, like nobody was doing stuff for the first time that night. It was really fun to watch pros have to do it just the once and see how good they could do it. But, um, I mean, again, people, I'm guessing the second episode of SNL uh, began the tradition of people complaining about it. And it was great to do another show that people could sound off about. And I think the fact that people still sound off as uh, passionately as they do about SNL sort of speaks to how much SNL means to them as opposed to, you know, I don't think it comes from a place of, in a weird way, I think people hating on SNL oftentimes comes from a place of love for whatever that's worth. I totally agree. And 23 million people uh, back you up on that sentiment. No, it's like SNL is like the family member that 
you love and you complain about, you know, yeah. it's never going to be perfect. And you're always going to wonder, I, you know, why the other Uncle... thing that my, you know, in my time on the show, uh, the, my takeaway, you know, whenever you, uh, read anything along the lines of, you know, what were the writers thinking there? Um, you know, the answer is always, well, we were thinking it was going to work, <laughs> you know, like there's the effort right. is to do. And then, but it's really, uh, the level of difficulty is really hard. And I can tell you, there's never been a show uh, where after any SNL I ever did, where anybody said perfect. Yeah. Every part of it, it perfect. You know, it was never, I never even went, you know, in the years I did update, I never went 12 for 12 with jokes. How could the show be perfect? One thing Jim Miller and I talked, we did a podcast yesterday. And one thing we talked about was Jimmy Fallon, you know, first of all, starting the show with him, he's on the stage with Lauren at the end of the night. He's hosting the after party. He He's kind of emerged as like kind of the, the, the guy, it seems like, which I, I'm a little bit surprised by, especially like when you think like there's stars that have come off that show and had these monster, monster, monster movie careers. But he's kind of become the symbolic, I don't know, face of something. Do you, do you feel that at all when you're watching it? Yeah, well, he's, you know, I think what he brought to the SNL 40th is what he brings to the Tonight Show is there's sort of a consummate hosting ability to him. And, you know, as as good as uh, he and Justin were to open the show, really, and I, you know, I said this on, on my show the other night, the most impressive thing I saw him do was orchestrate the after party music. Yeah. Because people were just coming up and would sort of whisper in his ear, I'd love to do a song. And he'd sort of have to run around and just facilitate who was going next. And there are very few people that can do that and can, through a sort of a melange of sort of like enthusiasm and appreciation and talent, can sort of be a, a ringleader like that. And I think on a night like the SNL 40th, uh, um, the more ringleaders, the better, because there were certainly a lot of there were a lot of rings and a lot of people moving around. Right. Every time I saw Will Ferrell, he would say, a lot of moving parts, because <laughs> that was what the show felt like. Well, it was really this giant victory lap for Lorne Michaels, because, you know, you have this 40-year show, all these different people that passed through his life, and the institution itself, and the celebration of it, and then also, he's got you, and he's got Fallon in this two-hour block, Monday through Friday on NBC, and then his show on Saturday nights, and it's like, it's crazy, but I don't think he's ever been more powerful. Yeah, and nobody uh it's very rare for non-dictators to get more powerful as they get older. Real and and, as, and and not decline as they hit a certain age. It's not like it doesn't feel like he's declining. Yeah. And uh and I will say, I will say that he is a guy who um he looks great. Uh he's still uh you know, he's still super sharp and uh I can tell you from experience that he drinks, and I think that the only thing he has, like he walks, like he has this very, like this constitutional, just like going for a walk every day. So if there's any kids out there listening, that would be the thing I'd recommend if you want to live a long, healthy life like Lauren Michaels. You walk and drink? You you can drink, but you have to walk. Okay. Um, I was, when I did my podcast with him, I was impressed by how on the ball he was. Oh like yeah, just, he's just hundred percent on. It wasn't like he wasn't stammering or like searching for some answer and getting years confused. Like he had full recollection, which made me think he's probably like a little bit of a genius. You know, like I, I was at this dinner on Thursday night 
uh, in New York City for All Star, and I met Bill Clinton, and we were talking about sports, and he starts talking about the Arkansas Razorbacks in the mid '90s, and about Corliss Williamson and Eddie Sutton, and he's just rattling off these names, and I'm thinking like, oh my god, like think of all the names and faces and ideas and thoughts and strategies and concepts that have gone through Bill Clinton's head and he's 70, but he still has this, you know, on the ball recollection of Arkansas Razorback basketball in the mid nineties when he was president. It's like impossible. Both people, you know, both Lauren and Clinton, they're both also adding stuff every day. Yeah. They're not done. You know, it's not just uh, my life and recollection. It's, uh, you know, every day they're adding new stuff and, you know, Lauren has to, be building a strategy about Leslie Jones and Pete Davidson and you know he has to, he's kind of moved on from his past even though he has a great recollection for it because he's so hands-on in the future and that's what I'm always blown away by how you feeling about your show feeling good you know we're coming up on a year I think uh, next Tuesday I know I know Crazy. when is it uh, February 24th yeah Tuesday one year anniversary show no, well, we actually, you know what we're doing? We, uh, we're having the whole, it's the last night of Parks and Recreation uh, is airing that night. Uh, so we're having the whole cast of that show come on. Um, oh, that's an excellent that. idea. I think I do yeah. this, actually. That's good. So you have everybody. Yeah, so we have the whole, we have everybody. We have, uh, Mike Schur is going to be there. And um, it's, uh, yeah, so I sort of, uh, <laughs> I've given away my anniversary to, to celebrate uh, another show. <laughs> but uh that I think is for the best. I, uh, especially after SNL 40, I don't think anybody wants to spend a lot of time on late night one. Are you sure Mike Sure is going to be there? Because the Pablo Sandoval photos that came out yesterday, I didn't know if he was like in a coma. Oh, no. What are the photos? Is he not looking uh, svelte? Um, no, he's not looking svelte. <laughs> svelte is not a word you would use with the Pablo Sandoval photos. I mean, I love it. We knew we were getting with this guy. We knew we knew he was never going to be in shape, but to just roll out in spring training with like the giant, giant John Goodman beer belly gut oh, was God. really a bold move. I loved it. Um, next time you see Sure, also you can bust on him for this. He didn't come to the SNL 40th. What? Like I'm sure he had like parenting and of uh, one of his many um, projects to edit and in post production, and I think he's probably in full. Uh, jam mode because they're airing I think they're you know because they're airing these two a night on Parks and Recreation right um, like so I'm sure he's uh, it's crazy but uh, come on wow yeah maybe maybe post Patriots Super Bowl he just had no more mountains to climb that's true congrats on that by the way yeah when nine titles in 13 years it's just tough to get excited about anything I get it I get it you just kind of <laughs> wander around <laughs> Wait, do you have a deflate cake thought by the way do you, do you, uh, I, as an objective party, do you feel like the Patriots were railroaded with this whole thing or no? I, look, I think some, I don't care. That's the first thing. I think the Patriots are the best team in football. I think the right team won the Super Bowl. Thank I you. Think, uh, but with that said, I feel like they're like an investment bank that legally cuts every corner they can. And that's what makes them easy to root against. I think there was some sort of uh, something shady went on. And, uh, but I don't, you know, much like, uh, the substitution thing against the Ravens, I don't really care. I feel like, you know, they're just that much better. And that, uh, you know, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in NFL history, right? And we can say that now. I think we can say that now. Did you watch the Letterman interview with him? No. How was it? 
was it was what you thought it would be. Belichick's yeah. weird. It's it's at some point he's gonna let out the sense of humor and personality that everybody says he has, but it's just he's in this steadfast race to the end, never to let anyone anyone see it at any point. But yeah. Letterman was trying to drag it out and Belichick just seems like a good guy. You know? Yeah. But he so desperately tries to keep that coach facade that uh you know, it is what it is. Who is, by the way, since you got the one-year anniversary, this is a good question. Who is the single most delightful guest you've had in the first year? Just the and one like, that you were just like, I'm climbing in the passenger seat and this guy is carrying me right now. Well, you know, uh, it was made a little bit, you know, I look back on it now, well, obviously a little differently, but Joan Rivers was so fantastic Ooh. because she was just doing jokes and material. Like, she was yeah. just killing the minute she came out. Just killing. And it was just, was seeing it up close, it was uh, Hurricane Joan. It was so amazing. And the best part about it was she, I fell for, uh, I fell for something, which I can't believe. Here's a woman who's been, you know, part of, uh, you know, American media since, like, the early 60s. And at one point, she sort of stopped and said, you know what, I shouldn't say this next thing. It's a late night show. We're here for comedy. I, I, I'm not going to say it. And I said, well, what? And she goes, well, my parents actually, uh, they considered having me aborted. And I, I fell for it. I went, oh. Right. And she went, I remember I was 13 years old. And it was so, it got me so hard that I would fall for a Joan Rivers joke at that point. Yeah. And, you know, obviously uh, it was such, that was such a loss. But I'm so happy we had her on and, and that looking back, like I just laughed. I just laughed like a schoolgirl the whole time. What's the biggest thing you learned in the first year? Um, that uh, you got to move on when something doesn't work. Oh. You mean that in you the do, moment or it, the next day? Like the next – the moment, the next day that this is such a volume business. Like monologue jokes, anything. Like it's different than uh, SNL. Like you just – if you're – you have to have a good time for these shows to be watchable at this hour. You know, the host has to be having fun. Yeah. And – I just think that, like, uh, the, you know, in the earlier shows, like, I would uh, I would just carry uh, disappointment a little bit more in my face and tone. And, and just being able to, like, shake it off and, and only move forward, I think, is, is probably one of the, the biggest things I've learned. What's the biggest thing that's changed about you in the last year, either physically or from a habit standpoint? Because whenever people go through something, you know, that's that's that big of an of a day-to-day kind of achievement slash obstacle, like all that stuff. Something always changes. Like you change food habits, you do a different Oh, exercise. I'm a hundred times healthier than I was yep. at SNL. Like I weigh less, I eat better, and it's because you just – even when I would go upstairs just to talk about the SNL 40th, I would get called up to Lauren's office, and I'd go from my office on 8 to 17, and before I would get to Lauren's, I would somehow eat a piece of pizza. Like, it would just be out. Yeah. And the old stress of being at the SNL office is you would just eat pizza and then have a Coke. And I, by the time I got downstairs to do my show again, I would feel awful. But the fact that every day is the same as far as you come in at this hour and you go home at this hour just allows you to be a little bit more structured about sort of how you treat yourself. And also, you know, at SNL, you could be sick as a dog and you could get the work done. And then, you you know, for me, you just have to sort of gut through 10 minutes a weekend update. But when you have to do one of these, when you have to be out there for an hour a night, like, you know, it's pretty important to try to make sure you don't fall deathly ill or get the flu or lose your voice. So you're a man of routine now. 
I'm a man of routine. You know, which is why that... one of the things I like is you know we're trying more and more to, if we have an idea in the morning um, about something in the news or something in politics, to really try to jam that out uh, just for that old rush of you know uh, deadlines and stuff. Right. Well, when I had Lauren on, you and I have talked about this multiple times in the podcast about why the SNL, why the way they do the show has never changed in 40 years because it just mm-hmm. never made sense to me. I couldn't understand it. And then Lauren just gave the answer when I did the podcast with him. He said, specifically, he thought people were better late at night when they were tired and sleepy that they took more chances creatively. And I was like, oh, that 100% makes sense. He's on to something. I fully agree. Yeah. So I don't know if he knew that in 1975 or he figured that out at some point during the first couple of years, but it's clearly his strategy to, to, to weaken people mentally and make the entire them. And that's when the real creativity comes out. Um, well, I definitely, uh, you know, there are, well, it was like no part of me misses what it meant to stay up all night Tuesday to write. I do. Like there are those 3 a.m. Wednesday morning where you just see someone walking down the hallway, like crazy eyes, but with a glint in them that, you know, they just came up with an idea that's going to be solid gold. Right. And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that's the only place I ever saw anything like that. Like a Walking Dead zombie who just came up with a great idea? Really great sketch idea. And they just have to find their way to their office without an obstacle to get around. All right. Well, Seth Meyers, uh, congrats on the impending one-year anniversary. Congrats on SNL 40. And I think the next time that whole kind of shindig happens is when Lauren announces his retirement, right? And then it's the Lauren Michaels is leaving SNL giant three, three and a half hour NBC celebration. I would, I would say that's next yeah, on the docket. Something like that. I, there's something that tells me this will always be, this is, this was the optimal time to do this. I think Lauren yeah. sort of looking to the past and looking to the future sort of, I think has been thinking about 40 for a long time because 25 did very well. And, and Lauren sort of passed on 30 and passed on 35. And I think he knew in the way that he's a really good producer that uh, 40 would be uh, special. And I'm glad it turned out that way. Yeah, if you think of SNL like a person, 40 is kind of when you start to become reflective about everything that just happened. Yeah. So it makes sense for a TV show to kind of emulate that in a weird way. Yeah, it was really great. I was glad I was honored to be there. Thanks for coming on, considering you're you're doing your own show tonight and and you're you're running it. Who's on the show tonight, by the way? Um, Who do we have on the show tonight? We have Peter Sarsgaard, we have Kathy Griffin, and we have a band called The Mavericks. Oh, well, there you go. Seth Meyers, thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Bill. All right, see you. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.